Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast that covers magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts. Today, we're going to cover the iconic flower of Samhain and Day of the Dead, Calendula officinalis, or Marigold. And I will be talking a bit about Samhain, old, new, and in between. I know. I can't believe. So by the time this comes out, it's going to be Samhain, which blows my mind. Where did the year go? I, shh, you're asking me. <laughs> um, but it really is. It's the best time of the year. And this year is extra special and extra spooky with the blue moon. So I can't wait to talk about that a little bit. Oh, man. The blue moon. I, I got to say, are you feeling like a little bit of anxiety creeping in the closer we get to this full moon? I've had some really bizarre dreams. Last night, I had a dream that I was in a new Blade movie and Wesley Snipes injured me in a stunt accident. Oh, that wasn't a dream, Shannon. That actually happened. (laughs) That would be way cooler than what actually happened, which was probably just that my dog bumped into me really hard while I was sleeping. But no, I, I always find that around full moons my dreams get really active and I wake up a lot more during the night. Oh, and the moon was in Pisces yesterday. Oh, if you I re- know. if if I if I saw that right. So, you know, we're we're out here. It tracks. It tracks. It, it, it tracks. Um but yeah, so we're we're talking about Samhain, we're talking about marigolds. Yeah, and so you know, I feel like when you think about Day of the Dead in particular, it's like you immediately see all those like beautiful arrangements of marigolds. And, you know, the calendula has actually also been associated with Samhain for a really long time. So something about this flower has always really captured the eye of witches around, you know, the thinning of the veil this time of year. So I thought it was a perfect pick for our first full length episode. Um, And I just want to make a quick like nerdy distinction Calendula officinalis or pot marigold, which is what we're going to be focusing on, is technically a different flower than the one you really see for Dia de los Muertos, which is the Targetus erecta. Um, So technically, they're different flowers. They are within the same family, though. So even though they're not medicinally interchangeable, for me, I think when plants are closely related, magically, I find that I can substitute one for the other. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you know, do a little substitution. Also, you know, growing up in Texas, and I know you're based in LA now, but we've had, I think, some very respectful information that a lot of people don't get about Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, yeah. Day of the Dead is really such a fascinating holiday to me. And, you know, the place that the marigolds come in is you know in that tradition it's believed that the spirits of the dead actually do visit during the dia de los muertos celebration and marigolds can guide the spirits to their altars with both their vibrant colors and their pungent scent because fresh marigolds not the ones that you know you get at the grocery store in a bouquet that have been sitting there for god knows how long but like fresh marigolds have such a beautiful smell oh my gosh yes All that to say, we're going to be focusing a lot on calendula. You know, if you go to metaphysical shops or you're online looking at tinctures and things, if you see marigold, it's almost always going to be dried calendula. So that's why we chose this one particularly. 
Um, and the name comes from Latin calendar, which is actually talking about its long blooming season. In a lot of places, you know, like my porch here in LA, um, this flower can actually bloom pretty much every month of the calendar year. If you don't get a frost, this flower is not going to go away. Um, I actually planted a mix of some pollinator seeds on my front porch in these two big pots I have. And I keep pulling up the flowers as they die off. And I keep thinking, surely I'm at the end of this, but the calendula keeps coming back. So it is, it's remarkably easy to grow and not in the way that I think a lot of plant lovers will say that stuff is easy to grow. These are genuinely, they're so easy. They actually thrive in really terrible soil and they, they're happy in, in partial shade, full sun, pretty much anywhere you put them. The only thing to keep in mind is, you know, if you're planting them in, you know, a pot container, you want to make sure that you have a really free draining soil. They don't like wet feet, but what plant does? So, you know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. But my, my favorite weird fact about the Asteraceae family, which is what the calendula flower belongs to, their iconic petals that they have are actually ray florets. So they're miniature flowers themselves. So if you look at one of these flowers up close, in the center of the flower, there are actually tiny little flower buds that will open up into individual little flowers. And it's so cool looking when they fully blossom. That's very trippy. So that's like flowerception. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, it's really common in the Asteraceae family. And this family that Marigold is in, it contains a lot of heavy hitters that you might be familiar with. Things like chamomile, yarrow, dandelion, echinacea, you know, some some slightly big deal plants all exist within the same family. So well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hop in here. I'm I'm hearing a lot of stuff that I like in herbal tea. Now, could I do an herbal tea with calendula? Oh, one hundred percent. The flower itself is edible, so you can make it into a tea. Something else I've seen that's really cute is to freeze them into ice cubes and use them in the summer in your oh, in your my. like ice tea. Wow. Wait, wait. So you're saying I could make like sun tea? And then put marigold ice cubes in my sun tea. Oh my god, that would be so good. I think I need that. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not summer anymore, but I'm sure we'll have like an 80 degree day here in Austin sometime soon. So. Oh, I mean, we're about to have second summer in Los Angeles, so it's coming for all of us. And it it actually is funny that you mentioned making sun tea and then having the marigold in it. So, you know, metaphysically, it is associated with the sun and the sign of Leo, which, I mean, if you've ever looked at one of these flowers, I don't think is super surprising. But something that I think could also be really special to do with them is if you have some seasonal affective disorder, you know, I think adding some of this to your altar could be a really nice pick-me-up. Oh, and I'm definitely feeling a nice hit of that. I mean, waiting for daylight savings time to hit and it's been cloudy the sun's been going down at like 6 six thirty here i'm i'm feeling it i'm feeling it i know and we're about to have daylight savings time in a couple of weeks and it's going to get even worse for people that are affected by that and so i think you know maybe doing a beautiful little vessel that has some oil and some dried marigold flowers in it that you keep on your altar and you can just meditate on that bring that sun energy into your space where you're practicing I think that's just such a great way to use that. And it's it's one of those ways that I think your metaphysical practice can support 
you know, the other more practical things you might do for your mental health. Of course, you know, both of us love our therapists and love our, you know, medicine that we need. But the metaphysical stuff, I think, can really be such a good additive. Oh, yeah. And uh, you know, shout out to all the therapists out there. Y'all are doing such a good job. All of the overtime that therapists have worked in 2020, I feel like we need a new batch of therapists to come in so all of these poor people can take like a year off yeah, when they, this is all They done. need a break. <laughs> they need such a break. Um, but yeah, so like I was saying, calendula has some really beautiful fire energy and it has a lot of sun associations. But, you know, I mentioned this plant is a survivor, right? Like this thing can live in the worst condition of soil. And for me, when I'm thinking about the properties magically of a plant, I tend to gravitate to, to things that I feel like really reflect the personality of that plant. And so something that I've seen a lot in listings that really resonated with me is the idea of using calendula for spells about like self-love and endurance and clearing the way and healing. You know, I think things like that are so powerful this time of year in particular with Samhain because Samhain is the witch's new year. Oh man. And you know, I, we're actually going to talk about this a little bit um, when we kind of go into the history of Samhain, but that really is the spirit of the season. So like spot on plant recommendo. Oh, totally. And it's all about, you know, clearing the way. So in herbalism, calendula is really used for things like reducing inflammation, shortening your healing time. And when you think about the metaphysical side of that, you know, it's like clearing the way, getting rid of the dust, the cobwebs that are keeping you from really experiencing your full self. And that's where, for me, calendula really shines. I think a beautiful way to use it is if you wanted to take a ritual bath on Samhain, you know, we've got this gorgeous full blue moon energy, put some dried calendula flowers in your bath and really meditate on things that you want to manifest in the next year. You know, let the calendula help bring out the magic that already exists within you. We were um, planning on talking a little bit about this in our next episode, but um, I was doing a little research that I'd love to throw in here. And something that I saw that was very interesting was um, when you're making an herbal bath, putting it in a little bit of boiling water and steeping it almost like tea before adding all of that to your bath can bring out all of those essential oils and good aromas that you're wanting in your bath way better than your bath temperature water. Oh, yeah. And it also makes your cleanup so much easier if you don't want to put the whole herbs in there. Oh, sure. You could literally steep it like tea, which is also something yeah. I saw recommended. And I just, you know, it's like we're talking about it would be a great addition to like a cleansing bath. And, you know, I'm kind of like spoilering a bit of episode two, which I, you know, I hate to do, but it's, um, you know, yeah, boil it like a tea. It really yes. does make that much of a difference because your bath water is maybe like 120, 130 degrees. If, if it's you go hard. If it's really nice and hot. But yeah. my hot water heater does not have the fortitude to keep up with me. So oh God, same. A lot of times in the winter, I'm putting water on the stove to add to my bath to make it hotter anyway. So if you're, if you're doing herbs, that'd be a great time to add it. So yeah. And if you're doing herbs that are drinkable, 
Mm. You know, why not do double duty? You can drink a small cup of the tea while you're in the bath that includes all of those beautiful aromas and the steeped, you know, those essential oils and Mm. all that really Mm. potent power, you know, sort of like an inside outside ritual experience. And, you know, even with something like rose, which a lot of people will add to their, their bath, it's like night and day. Honestly, I have tried this before inadvertently um, because I take, I take a lot of baths, but um, yeah, if you want to smell the roses instead of just seeing them, you want to smell your marigolds, you know, I'm just saying, just throw yeah. them up there. Hot tips from Nick right now. I love that. So yeah, I think that using them in a ritual bath is so perfect. And then another thing you could think about is using the petals. You know, if you want to crush them up into this beautiful yellow powder, you could use them to dress a candle if you're doing a manifestation spell. They're really going to help you bump up the magic and do a lot of that energy clearing. And so I think even if they're just an additive, this is a really great, you know, sort of extra dash to add to a lot of your spell work. And, you know, as a fire dominant person, I work a lot with fiery energies. So this is definitely something that I am going to be doing this season. So I don't know about you guys out there, but it's about to be cold. You know, channel that fiery energy for sure. Yeah, And take advantage of these last moments of summer, you know, summer like weather. I mean, in L.A., it's going to be summer for a while longer. But, you know, do some like go out and harvest some calendula. Pick it at noon when the sun's at its height and you have that really strong fire energy. Then you can take it home and dry it out or bring it inside from your porch, dry it out and use it all winter. What are we thinking for like medical uses of calendula like where does that where does that come into play yeah oh my god you will see this everywhere and quick disclaimer um nick and i are not doctors so please talk to your physician before you do anything that could potentially impact your health but calendula really is this amazing herbalism superstar so you know i mentioned it helps reduce inflammation and shorten healing time and that's just one part of what it does um it's also really great for women's health issues so it's an amenagogue which means that it can bring on your period so with that in mind pregnant women steer clear Um, but it actually can really help if you have things like excessive, like bleeding, irregular periods, if you've got cramping, you know, it can really help with that. Making a tea with calendula when you're on your period can be like a beautiful way to use it. Um, or, you know, if you grow up in Texas and in the summer you get those horrible heat rashes or you have eczema outbreaks, you can use calendula to soothe the irritation and pain of skin affliction. And that's something that I think it's really most commonly used for like if you're interested in sort of more all natural herbalist based um skincare you're gonna see calendula on a lot of your labels so be on the lookout for that um and it's it's great because it is generally considered to be a safe herb for general use by most people but like nick and i said we are not doctors so i i would say you know speak for yourself i mean i don't need people out there knowing that i'm not a doctor Well, okay, I can speak for myself. I am personally not a doctor, so do not take this advice as medical advice. I may or may not be a doctor. Nick may or may not be a creepy back alley doctor that's going to deal you some herbs. So do with that what you will. 
Um, but yeah, all that to say, calendula has some really amazing medical uses in addition to its metaphysical uses. Um, and just a reminder, again, calendula is a little bit different than the marigold that you see at Day of the Dead, which is the Targetus erecta. Those are not interchangeable medicinally. So if you're looking at the herbalism uses, you've really got to make sure you've got calendula. Know what your flowers are. Know what you're growing. Um, but again, metaphysically, I think they are really interchangeable. For me, things that are that closely related, you know, if you don't have any calendula around, but you do have some Targetus erecta, use that for your spell work. I think it's really about making do with what you have. Right. You know, what? what is that meme? Same energy? Yes. Same energy. Same energy. So I wanted to, before we move on, I just want to make sure that I do quote my sources. Of course, I am a good Virgo. Um, the Herbal Academy has a bomb website. So if you're interested in learning about all of the good stuff you can get from plants, I would definitely check it out. You know, so many of us have big herb gardens and they're so much more useful than you might realize. Um, the National Women's Health Network also has some good info. If you're ever interested in using herbs and you are an owner of a uterus and you menstruate, sometimes there are some contraindications and things you'll want to look out for. Um, Chestnut Herbs also has a great website. And then Green Witchcraft by Paige Vanderbeck is this phenomenal book. Paige Vanderbeck is the podcast host of The Fat Feminist Witch. And I really, I recommend her show if you haven't listened to it. Um, and then the last piece that I used was The Modern Guide to Witchcraft by Sky Alexander. So there's plenty of great resources out there. But again, with herbs, there are so many really amazing magical uses, but on the same token, they can do some great things for your body. So I highly encourage everybody to do a little bit of research. I think it's a great addition to anybody's, you know, medicine cabinet. Hannah, that message was brought to you by Hermione Granger. <laughs> so, uh, the Virgo um, in charge. Yes, indeed. That's fair. Um, so, okay. I wanted to do my first segment on questionable witchcraft for this lovely Samhain season with something maybe a little spine chilling maybe a little blood curdling oh my god uh, the pun that might okay you know what I'm a bad <laughs> pun guy okay you are a bad but, pun guy but you said you sent me this um from the Mookie Chick blog it's it's seasonal okay I feel like you know with Halloween being the the celebration of the month the secular celebration of the month blood was something that we were kind of talking about <laughs> and there's a lot of really really questionable stuff on the internet folks and i do just want to hop in here and say going forward if you see any weird stuff on yahoo answers please feel free to send that what is that Wands and fronds at gmail.com. Wands and fronds pod at gmail. Wands and fronds pod at gmail.com. Um, we did just start this podcast, so maybe I'll remember the email eventually. But send me send me your questionable witchcraft advice. But this one involved uh, the non consensual addition of menstrual blood into someone's beverage uh as what an aphrodisiac i believe yeah as an aphrodisiac in a way to make sure your lover is faithful so essentially a period blood roofie so yeah you know it's not about minces that's not what makes this questionable 
it's uh it's the consent thing wouldn't you agree like it's uh it's totally i mean honestly for me i have a way bigger phobia about spit than i do about blood and Ugh. same thing it's like you don't want people spitting in your food without you knowing you don't want people putting bodily fluids of any kind in your beverages without your permission consent's the name of the game consent is definitely the name of the game um you know we're given that a questionable for sure i will say i if you if you have to do some witchcraft with your menstruation um there's actually you know teen vogue yeah can i say teen vogue is woke now what happened there yeah, they have uh, fully radicalized, and I, I'm kind of here for it. It is not the Teen Vogue of our youth. No, 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 no. But Teen Vogue did run an article last year about some uh, safer, more consensual, and uh, I think a little less questionable ways to use your uh, your menses and witchcraft. So if you're feeling it, maybe check that out. And I want to say, too, Nick and I know that this is actually this practice does come from the hoodoo tradition and it's common in Sicilian folk magic. But the reality is we live in a day and age where we understand the importance of consent. And the places that I've seen this aren't really sources for practitioners from those backgrounds. There are blogs by Western white ladies talking about this practice. And it's just not you know, we understand consent. It's not okay. And like Nick said, menstrual blood is awesome for magic. I mean, it really is super powerful. And if you're a person who menstruates, you should try capturing your blood, use it in your magic, check out Teen Vogue's recommendations, but just yeah, check, check, uh, sentences you never thought you would say. Check out Teen Vogue's recommendations for menstruation magic. <laughs> uh, but I but, mean, yeah. they're out there They're and they're pretty good and they're all consensual. So how about that, y'all? Like consent is super important so yeah. you know if you're seeing some uh some questionable practices that involve questionable consent uh i would definitely be interested to see you know because we're not here to judge anyone except here in this segment we are definitely here to judge people uh hearing that so we are we're here to judge just a little and hopefully just a bit. entertain in the meanwhile but yeah consent she is the head bitch in charge always so i would like to talk about the reason for the season um and that is baby jesus oh <laughs> no wrong I, i'm so sorry i let me um that's actually a different podcast i'm doing oh okay um so the reason for the season okay so i'm gonna start off here with a little bit of history um Samhain, which is not pronounced sam hain um I, you know and i just want to take a second here uh and say to everyone out there that learns about witchcraft uh, by reading stuff online that it's okay to mispronounce things. You know, not everyone is formally educated in old Gaelic. And, uh, Speak you know, for yourself. I mean, that's fair. Um, I would expect nothing less of Hermione Granger, but um, <laughs> me personally, I, uh, I pronounced it Samhain for uh, an embarrassingly long amount of time. But um, so Samhain has its roots in the old celtic spiritualities of the british isles it's uh actually kind of hard to pinpoint an exact date that it became a holiday but there are neolithic passage tombs where the stone placement lines up with the sun on Samhain. Okay, so passage tomb. Elaborate, please. Okay, so i think everyone is probably familiar with 
Stonehenge. Ah, okay. So it's like Craig Nadoon in Outlander, except for it doesn't actually take you to meet beautiful Sam Hewen. No. Uh, oh, it, no, okay. you're, yes, you are correct. And no, it does not take you to meet Sam Hewen. So Stonehenge, the sun, it lines up with the sun on certain days of the year, like the solstices. It is kind of like a, a clock, like a calendar, like a cosmic calendar. In the old Celtic stories, a lot of them start or end on Samhain. But actually, so those passage tombs, though, were built sometime between the end of the last ice age and what we call the modern age, where people are building houses and having farms in Europe. Cool. So very specific. But also, it's really amazing to think about something like Stonehenge being built before we had any sort of modern machinery. Sure, sure, sure. These passage tombs were like smaller, you know, these were burial mounds, these were ritual spaces, um, sometimes both, but they, they called them passage tombs. And uh, so they were, there was some kind of importance of this day before there was even any kind of information about a holiday. So what, what we know about the original Samhain uh, comes to us a lot from the Romans who talked about what they saw in Celtic culture, which um, if you didn't know out there was actually, uh, it was verbally passed from person to person. Yeah, so this, so what you're saying is our history of this is a secondhand account verbally from people that didn't even participate in the culture. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And so whereas you have um, Norse mythology more or less taken down in close to its entirety because the people who wrote it in Iceland, they had been passed down this information, but they were uh, recent converts, you know, but it was not uh, from outside. It was kind of like a half in, half out situation. So it was people who had been converted to Christianity from the old religion, but people who kind of grew up learning the old religion. We use converted very loosely here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so they had bonfires, which was a very big part of it. And, you know, disguises so they believed as modern witches do that the veil between the world of spirits and the world of the living is very thin and as we pass from what they believed was the light part of the year into the dark half of the year uh, which also happened in reverse on beltane kind of creates a corner and in that corner the veil is very very thin so they would have bonfires and they would disguise themselves uh, sometimes as spirits so when the mischievous spirits would come through they would uh not go for you because they would think oh that's another mischievous spirit it's kind of like there's a really cool outfit you can get in the new zelda game that basically looks like a lucha libra outfit that has glow in the dark skeleton on it but when oh, you sure. put it on none of the monsters in the game will attack you because they think you're one of them exactly so that's where the disguises would come in they would disguise themselves as spirits they would have a bonfire they would you know they would it was a feasting holiday as well i mean a mm. lot of the sabbats are so, oh, God, I love feasting. Is there anything better? But uh, w with a little bit of a twist. So because it is the end of the light part of the year, quote unquote, the light part of the year, 
they would uh, be finishing up their harvest around this time. They would be bringing their grazing animals to closer pastures to home. And they would also be deciding what to eat. They'd be planning it out. You know, they'd have all the earth signs, tallying up the numbers and making like a like a meal prep plan. <laughs> Basically like an ancient version of a spreadsheet. Right, right, right. So <sighs> I love it. During this time, it was very important because the spirit world and the world of the living were so close together to honor those spirits with offerings. So there's a certain sacrificial element to the old Samhain celebrations. Um, and sometimes it was an animal that can be a little dark. That can be a little scary. Um, but it was a very much a, you know, an offering to survive the winter. You know, a lot of people back in that time would not survive the winter. So they were very, very scared. Oh, you know what would be such a fun offering to do is if you made some calendula tea, how great would it be to leave out that beautiful, like, warming fire energy tea as an offering on Samhain? Oh, yeah. Well, I you know, and actually... While we're talking about, so one of the modern things that people are doing for Samhain is doing a dumb supper. Have you ever done a dumb supper? No, I can't shut up long enough to do a dumb supper, but you should tell people what it is. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, I am an Aries, so I am inclined to agree with you. I'm very chatty. But uh, so a dumb supper is, is a very sacred and silent event. It is um, incorporating... From the old Samhain, the feasting aspect of it. So you do set a feast for the people celebrating with you. And you leave the head of the table empty. So no physical people are sitting there. But you lay on a spread for them. So everything that you would you would be eating, you set a place for them. You pour them a glass of wine. You make a plate. You break the bread for them. And uh, that place is for the spirit's or the ancestors, or the fae, or, you know, whoever you're really trying to have visit while the veil is thin. While we're on the subject, um, so some people are using Samhain uh, in a broader spiritual sense, like they're just getting in contact with the spirits, sort of in general. But um, this is also a really good time to honor your personal ancestors, especially if you keep an altar, you might put up a picture. You know, um, in Dia de los Muertos celebrations, this is the time of year when you would go to the graves and clean up the gravesite and leave fresh flowers and leave something like a gift, like a like a baked good, you know. I love that. Like something for your ancestors. And, you know, something I've seen, too, is like, you know, maybe you live far away from where your family is buried or maybe you have, you know, trauma wrapped up with your family of origin. But I have seen some people also go to cemeteries and like clean up the graves of people they don't know, you know, like old graves that look like they haven't been visited in a long time, you know, spruce them up, leave some flowers. It's a great way to honor the people that you know, have passed, even if they're not people that are directly related to you. Oh, and you know, that's actually a really great part of old Samhain as well. They had this idea of the um, forgotten dead. Mm. So the forgotten dead are the people who maybe don't have living ancestors or people who, I mean, you got to think back in the day, 
I mean, how many bog bodies are there in like Germany? They have no idea who these people were. Well, and I think about where we grew up, you know, growing up in Granbury, we had there were people buried in the cemetery out by my house from like the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So the, there's the idea that you don't forget the forgotten dead and therefore you will not be forgotten as well. You know, it's kind of like a self-perpetuating cycle. Um, this is this holiday is all about cycles, completing cycles, beginning new cycles. What goes around comes around, basically. I love that, too. I love the idea of not leaving anybody behind, because I think that especially, you know, people that have grown up in the West and, of course, Christianity had to take all good holidays and ruin them. Um, <laughs> it's like the idea of spirits, I think, gets such a negative connotation but I think taking this aspect of Samhain just feels so much more celebratory. You know, it's like we don't want to leave any of the spirits behind. They all deserve to have visitors when the veil is thin. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, another fun thing that was part of the old Samhain celebrations was uh, different forms of divination. So one of the ones I saw was peeling an apple in one piece, you know, where you have the like spirally piece of apple skin and uh, you throw it over your shoulder and supposedly the initial that it made would be the first initial of your soulmate or your your future spouse i can divine that there's no way i am ever able to get a single piece when i'm peeling an apple i i'm like that is magic that is outside of my skills you know i can i can actually do the one piece apple peeling i will show you how next time we are together in person Good. Um, I want to learn. We'll practice on a potato. <laughs> Ooh, how Irish. How very Irish and, you know, very <laughs> appropriate. Um, But they would also, so um, you grew up in Texas, so I'm sure you've been around people from Louisiana. But have you ever celebrated Mardi Gras? I have, yeah. My uncle was stationed in Louisiana for a long time, and I spent so much time going to Louisiana when I was a kid. I love Mardi Gras. Okay, so maybe you have had a king cake. So you're you're familiar with the idea. When you get a king cake, you you cut it into slices, and whoever gets the baby has good luck. Yeah. And so they would make um little cakes, and they would hide stuff in them, little little trinkets, little bits. And then they all had different meanings and um, it would tell your future for the next year. Um, and that, you know, maybe is the maybe is the origin of the king cake. I really couldn't find a lot of background of that practice. Uh, so maybe this is the the origin, you know, I don't, I don't know. When did they when did they invent cake? OK, but when are they going to have that challenge on the Great British Baking Show? That's what I want to know. The, the OG Samhain divination cake. I don't know. I feel like. That would be a Prue challenge. It, I think it would be a Prue challenge because, <laughs> you know, it sounds like it would be uh, not so neat. So I'm not, I'm not sure if Paul would uh, would be into it. And uh, I feel like Paul would grumble at it. So you know what? You know, speaking of uh, Paul, I think Paul Hollywood would be a really good pope. What do you think? Mm. Oh, I can totally see it. So uh, I'm not. I don't think Paul Hollywood is Catholic, but uh, you know, I think he'd be a good pope. I can see him with the little. Little Pope hat. Uh, I I nominate him as the Pope, even if it's just for the fashion. Yes. So um, are they going to take two witches' recommendations? I'm sure the Vatican will get back to us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know they won't return any of my letters. But now that there's a podcast, (laughs) I think they have to listen. But so okay. Speaking of the Pope, 
in the ninth century, the leaders of the Christian church, I'm not, I'm not sure if it was the Pope, you know, all I can find is that it was the leaders of the Christian church. And, uh, so, you know, probably the Pope. Um, I mean, it's probably just some rich old priests in a back room somewhere with a bunch of mead. Right. But um, they decided that, you know, there was a lot of focus on converting the Celtic parts of Europe to Christianity. and Taking all the fun out of Europe. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the world tour, the uh, fun-sucking <laughs> world tour. Uh, they decided to move All Saints slash All Souls Day which was already in the, the formation period of becoming a holiday that um I guess happened at a different time of the year, uh, to Samhain. So All Saints Day, All Souls Day, it's a very similar vibe to modern Dia de los Muertos. Um, like I'd said, it's got a lot to do with honoring your ancestors, honoring the saints, um, really just like people that have passed on before you. And then it kind of mingles with a lot of these existing Samhain traditions and becomes like Halloween like we know it. So you end up with, you know, like your your turnip jack-o'-lantern and, and people are wearing costumes and uh, you know, it, it ends it ends up really with like what, a bunch of Victorian people having a seance uh for Halloween. Yeah. In, in a fascinating twist, a lot of Southern Baptists now don't like to celebrate Halloween. And it's like, hello, Christians are the only reason Halloween is a thing. Right, right, right. Otherwise, it would just be Samhain. What do you know? You don't know. Right. But, um, <laughs> you know, okay, so modern witches celebrating Samhain, it's not Halloween, though. You know, so it's like. Halloween is its own thing, and it is like a Christian hybrid thing. So as much as they don't want to own it, it's kind of their it's kind of their bag, baby, as Austin Powers would say. But you know, the modern witches are incorporating the you know the neo pagans. We're you know we're trying to we're trying to uh, to take it back. We're trying to take it back, and we're we're calling back to a lot of those older traditions. So it is a feasting holiday again um it is very much about getting in touch with the spirits um you know one interesting thing i saw other than the dumb supper which a lot of witches do is um making like a little wicker ban and kind of depending on your alignment with the divine masculine or the divine feminine um it can either represent like the lord of winter or you know like the queen of of snow or you know it's like um welcoming the new oh, i love that you know last year on Samhain, something that we did is uh, i remember growing up my great grandmother would always make us irish stew and it was it was a lamb Ooh, stew yes. and so last year on Samhain, you know to sort of honor that family tradition we made a lamb stew and it was really i mean it was a really nice simple way to acknowledge our ancestors and then, you know, also feast. You know, and um, that's actually bringing up a really good point because I was reading something that I that really resonated with me about honoring your your ancestry um, as a witch in America in 2020. So I, I think I know your grandma is not a witch. No, is that I, right? No, 
Nana, Nana is not no a witch. No one in my family is a witch, and I'm not out of the broom closet with my family either. Sure, sure, sure. But um, let's just say many, many years from now, you're celebrating Samhain. You're wanting to honor your ancestors, but you're like, you know, maybe maybe you're not really feeling so connected because they they aren't necessarily practitioners of witchcraft and that's that's fine um because i would say that they're still your ancestors and they would still be watching over you and want what's best for you you know what i mean yeah i like to think that your ancestors kind of get over their weird religious misconceptions once they're dead because surely they've got a bigger view of things by then yes and then also you know it's like i think witches powerful women you know it's like um they've they've accused one of being the other for centuries now haven't they well and you know i think something else that i've always found really fascinating around Samhain, um hearing people talking about ways to honor quote-unquote ancestors maybe it's like if you don't know who your family is or like i said if there's a lot of Mm, trauma mm -hmm. there i mean number one if you are a witch you have witch ancestors so many people came before you But also, you know, if you're in the U.S. in particular, it's like, how can you honor the people whose land you're on? You know, which Native American tribe occupied the land that we have colonized? You know, how do you honor those ancestors, like the land ancestors? There's so many ways you can think about what an ancestor is that doesn't necessarily have to be people you're related to as well. You know, this can be really inclusive. It doesn't have to be so focused just on your family if that's not something that resonates for you. Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, so I just want to, I feel like a lot of people out there kind of need to hear that, you know, so they're like, they're thinking of their like conservative and Christian grandparents when they think of their ancestors. And that's just not accurate. And also, they probably still loved you. Yeah, they you know still loved mean? you. And like I said, I like to think that by the time you are a spirit being honored around some, you know, around Samhain, hopefully you've got a much bigger view and you're not quite as focused on the things that divided us when we were living. I would hope. Although, I, you know, imagine being a bigoted ghost. God, what a terrible afterlife to be a ghost that still has bigotry. But, um, you know, so... Honor your ancestors in whatever way you feel appropriate, but it is a time to kind of connect to that energy. And then, um, you know, I'm actually probably going to be going to a bonfire for my personal Samhain celebration. Of course, I am a fire-dominated person, so that always, always yeah, appeals you to will me. never turn up. You will never pass up an opportunity for a good fire. Yeah, you know, Anna. Shout out to Luke. Uh, who I did try to light on fire. Um, it's a very funny story that I'm not <laughs> But he now. had it coming. To be fair, he, uh, he did had have it coming. It, he did have In it coming. In Nick's defense. He did have it coming. Uh, but, you know, it's like fires, like a bonfire. Even if you can't have a bonfire, there is something that is just so right on Samhain about a fire. Light some candles. Yeah. Light some candles. Do something. I mean, and you can think about fire energy, too. It's like if you live in an apartment Mm, in the mm -hmm. city and you can't get to a bonfire, you've got candles. We just talked about, you know, marigolds have this great fire energy. There are so many ways to incorporate fire that aren't just a big bonfire, although a big bonfire is really so great if you have that option. It's really nice. And you you can feel the vibe when you're like, burning under a full moon it's different it hits yeah no it definitely does but um so i do just kind of want to throw out there though um like you said if you can't do a bonfire 
there there are good alternatives. You know, I would even say just like a nice smoky smudging, something to invoke that bonfire Well, spirit. and if you want to think about imbibing, you know, are you a person that likes a good, you know, a smoky scotch? And whiskey, whiskey has very big fire yeah. energy too. So it's like not even the smokiness of the barrel necessarily. It's like whiskey, fire water, hello. I mean, they don't call it that for nothing. Right. And you can have a glass and then leave a glass out for the ancestors. And then, you know, you've got that fire energy. You're honoring those that came before you. It's like, I love this idea of how you can make your practice work for you because there's no right and wrong way to do witchcraft Uh, while there is no right and wrong way to do witchcraft um i do just want to you know do like a part two of questionable witchy practices here and uh not not really questionable but maybe just like it's questionable to do this without experience and um i'm talking about seances oh gosh yeah there's no right and wrong way to do things but with that caveat being please be careful if you do not have experience. Be safe. Be smart. Don't invite be random safe. spirits. Be smart. No, you don't want to mess with forces bigger than yourself if you're not experienced and you're not absolutely confident that you know what you're doing. Save that for working with a coven or maybe a more experienced witch that you know. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if this is your first Samhain... Maybe a seance isn't the right thing to do for your first salon, you know? Yeah, let's... Honor your ancestors. Let's not start... Have a fire. Don't start by pulling out the Ouija board. And hey, I'm here. I'm I'm encouraging you to have a fire in your yard. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the safety guy. I, you know, just be careful doing a seance. I know a lot of people out there will be planning to do a seance this time of year. Because it's, you know, it's Halloween, it's horror movies, it's ghost stories. And while that is a very fun part of the season, I I just, you know, be careful. That's all I want to say. I Just be careful. Yeah, I draw the line at casual seances. That kind of brings us, we're kind of getting down to the end here, um, to something that I think is going to be really fun going forward, and that is the taroscope. We've actually, I have set up um, a random number generator. Um, and if anyone has a good one, uh, I've just been using Google because they have one. Um, a random number generator, uh, 1 through 12. And, um, you know, that's kind of telling me what sign to do. And um, so this week, uh, I've come up with 9, which is Sagittarius. And I've drawn a card on my Dragon Tarot deck. And uh, it is the Fool. Ooh. Perfect for a new so, year. Perfect for a new year. Uh, I think one of the big messages of the fool is um, kind of look before you leap. But maybe still take the leap, you know, because uh, I, I think it's very important. Um, my personal deck does not have the rider weight art. But one of the ways that I learned about the meanings of the different cards is that they're 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 hidden in that uh, very traditional tarot art. So if you look at the card for the fool, you see the man about to step off the cliff and there's the dog kind of pulling him back, but he's not looking down at his feet. Um, he's just kind of got his head in the clouds and he's, a, he's about to step off into the unknown. 
And uh, I think, you know, if we're doing a one-card draw for Sagittarians out there, uh, the message is look before you leap and uh, make a decision. Um, not saying don't, but, you know, maybe maybe see what's uh, under you. Yeah, I love that. It is It is just such a timely drawing for going into, you know, the Witch's New Year of Samhain because the Fool, I feel like, is such a great card because we are all the Fool in Mm -hmm. different aspects. We're we're kind of walking blindly into a new year. Yeah. But I will say Sagittarius's fiery energy, they will, you know, maybe they will heed my warning. Maybe they will look before they leap, but... I think they're still going to take the leap. That's my personal feeling. I I can just hear, you know, the Sagittarians that I know being like, okay, well, fuck you. I'm still going to do it. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the heads up. Big fire energy. I mean, fuck you. I'm still going to do it. Fire signs everywhere. I think that brings us to the um, bitter end. Yeah. I mean, that, that wraps things up for today. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. It's so much fun to get to do this. And we would love to hear from you. If you have ideas, thoughts, questionable practices, anything you want to mm-hmm. share with us. If you've got catty complaints, we'd love to hear them. Shoot us an email or message us on Instagram. Um, you can find us everywhere at Wands and Franz Pod. So it's wands and fronds pod at gmail.com and our Instagram handle is wands and fronds pod. Um, so please, please do reach out. We, there's not very many of you. So your chances of getting a response are pretty much a hundred percent. And I would say, you know, the sassier, the commentary, the more likely uh, I personally am to really go in depth. I'm, I'm a fire dominated person. So if you've had a couple uh, of glasses of wine and you want to start a fight mm, with a random podcaster. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, I do want to say that sort of a uh, threatening note aside. Um, <laughs> if you're feeling super generous, so kind of the opposite here, if you're feeling very generous and you feel like you've enjoyed your time, um, we'd love, 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 to get rated by you so you're listening out there you're on your little podcast service give us some stars like a rating and review means so much first of all please five stars we'll take any of them please five five would be great and i know it's so it's so passe you hear it all the time but the reason podcasters ask you to do that is because it does help people see your podcast so any rating and review you have also again we're new at this we want your feedback Tell us what we're great at, please. And, uh, you know, before we sign off here, I would just like to give a shout out to Ben and Eric, not Ben and Jerry, Ben and Eric, the uh, lovely people who are doing the sound work for Wands and Bronze podcast. Nick and I are the lovely voices, not the tech brains behind this show. So thank you both. Um, So yeah, next week, we're going to have some really great topics. I'm going to start with a really beautiful jack of all trades if you're ever missing anything and you need to replace it in a spell rosemary i'm actually going to be going over some really great magical ways to de-stress so not going to give too much away here but i think if you're feeling the tension i think we all are maybe check it out and it's good to have in your back pocket with all of the family holidays coming up anyway Oh my god, yeah, so election season aside, that's very political, you know, it's not political, 
dealing with your family. Oh. It's a very stressful time. What a time. So, um, well, good stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much. Until next time. Uh, blessed be blessed bitches. Blessed be bitches. Bye bye. Uh, all right. Bye. While there is no right and wrong, wrong way to do rich quaff, well, my God, can I speak? I cannot.